This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Long before Lucille Ball showed up on TV with Desi in tow and became one of the entertainment world's human dynamos, being not only an actress and comedian, but as well a crackerjack executive owning and running her own studio that gained worldwide fame, Desi Lou Studios. Tonight, though, we take you back to 1948 when she was cast as Liz Cougat, a wacky wife in My Favorite Husband a radio program for CBS Radio. Now, of course, the program was successful, and CBS asked her to develop it for television, and we all know what happened then. You know, I hadn't realized, though, that she had appeared as an actress in other radio shows, such as Suspense, Lux Radio Theater, and The Screen Director's Playhouse, but she sure was a multi-talented performer. Tonight, she tries to buy a new dress by going on a radio game show. It's time for My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball. Hello, everybody. Yes, it's the Gay Family Series, starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning. Transcribed and brought to you by the Jell-O family of Red Letter Desserts. And now Lucille Ball with Richard Denning as Liz and George Cooper. Two people who live together and like it. <laughs> As we look in on the Coopers this morning, they're at breakfast. And from the way Liz is looking at George, she is either madly in love or has some ulterior motive in mind. George. Hmm? You look so pretty in that blue shirt. Now stop the flattery, because you're not getting that new dress that's advertised in the paper. Oh, did you see the ad? Yes. Someone had cleverly pasted it on the bathroom mirror. <laughs> oh, those stores will do anything to sell merchandise. They're shameless. Yeah, well, George, now that fate has stepped in and brought the dress to your attention, may I buy it to wear to the club dance Saturday? It's only eighty-nine fifty. <laughs> Please, Liz, not while I'm drinking coffee. Eighty-nine fifty for one dress? Well, maybe I could do without the stole. Then it would only be sixty-nine fifty. Twenty dollars for that 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 roller towel with fringe? <laughs> it happens to be crocheted with gold tassels on it. It's a steal. I thought it was a stole. <laughs> Never mind. Do I get it? I'll give you three to answer yes. One, two, three. 
Four, five, six. <laughs> Seven, eight. Save your breath, Liz. Oh, I'm going to get that dress, George Cooper, by hook or crook. Well, it'll have to be by crook. You're not going to hook me for it. <laughs> okay, you're forcing me into a life of crime. I'm going upstairs and get my burglar's mask and a bobby. Jimmy. You burgle your way and I'll burgle mine. Goodbye. See you in jail. I'll get it, Katie. Liz, girl, hello. <laughs> oh, hi, Iris. Come on in. Sit down. Well, apparently I've stumbled into the nest of the bluebird of happiness. <laughs> What's eating you? Oh, George won't let me have the new dress for the dance Saturday. I'll have to go in my old green dress. I've worn that three times. Five, but who counts? <laughs> go on, make jokes. Look, you come along with me, Liz, and you'll forget all about your troubles. Where are you going? To a radio broadcast. Everybody wins with Happy Hal Brubaker. Oh, that sounds ginger peachy. Come on, maybe you'll win enough money to buy a new dress. Well, I... Who knows? Maybe you'll even be chosen queen for the morning. <laughs> queen for the morning? Uh-huh. It's only a local show. They can't afford to make you queen for the whole day. Oh. <laughs> Quiet, everybody. We're going on the air. Yes, it was exciting, Liz. No, I don't know what I'm doing here. Once again, it's time for Everybody Wins. And here's your MC, Happy Hal Brubaker. Oh, hello, 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 hello! <laughs> Welcome to Everybody Wins. We're going to have a lot of fun and give away some wonderful prizes. In fact, we have twice as many prizes as usual today, because on last week's Everybody Wins, nobody won. Why don't they call it Everybody Loses? Why don't you keep your big mouth shut? Here's a word from our sponsor. Grandma Grimes dares them all. Yes, Grandma Grimes, our sponsor, dares you to make this experiment. Take a mouthful of Grandma Grimes cold cream. And now close your mouth and exhale it slowly through your nose. And now try the same test with your own brand of cold cream. If you notice a difference, write and tell us, as we've never found anyone who can do this test. <laughs> And now for the goody part of our show. Our first contestant today is going to be the redhead in the audience with the reddest hair. And here's our winner in the first row. Me? To you. Oh, but maybe someone has redder hair than mine. Oh, come now. <laughs> Are you kidding, sister? What do you mean? At home, I'm a redhead. Next to you, I'm a brunette. <laughs> You must give a henna rinse a henna rinse. Now, just 
Just a minute. Yeah, come on up here, madam. You have a chance to win $500. I don't care. No one can talk to me like $500? Yeah, that's right. Come right up here on the stage. Oh. Now, if you can answer a question correctly, you win. Uh, what's your name? Mrs. George Cooper. That's right, and you win $500! <laughs> I do? Iris, I can get that dress now. You bet you can, and here's your money. Oh, thank you. But there's one little catch to it. What's that? In order to keep this check for $500, you have to cash it. Oh, that's all right. In the next 25 minutes. Oh. You have to be back here with the money before the program is over. Come on, Iris, let's go to the bank and get... Uh, one more thing. What is it? You're wasting my time. You have to cash the check without telling anyone it's a stunt for everybody with Oh, you can trust me. <laughs> I'm sure I can. <laughs> but we hired someone to go along with you, and it would be a shame to cheat him out of a job. Oh. Here he is. Now, if you start to say the wrong thing, he'll say... Ah, ah, ah. Yes, he will. <laughs> All right, Mrs. Cooper, you'd better get going. Now, you have 23 minutes to get the $500. <laughs> well, there's no hurry, Mr. Brubaker. I haven't really been fair with you. I should have told you. My husband is a banker, and I can go right down to the bank and cash this check. <laughs> Mrs. Cooper, I haven't been very fair either. This program went on the air at 3 o'clock, and that's when the banks closed. Ah! Well, don't just sit there, Iris. Start running. We have to get to the bank before they leave. Oh, I hope they haven't gone. So do I. Oh, good. There's a guard inside the door. See? I, I've never seen that one before. No. Open the door, please. <laughs> He's shaking his head and pointing to the clock. I know what time it is. Open the door. Open this door. Uh, but listen, he's trying to say something. You have to send a status form down to the bank of orders. <laughs> <laughs> what? You have to send a status form to me, but it's the bank <laughs> What did he say? Either I'm not a good lip reader or he's using some pretty strong language. Oh, I see George in there. You, George! George, we've got to get in. We've got to check. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, I forgot about our watchdog. <laughs> oh, George sees you. Here he comes. Hey, what's going on here? Liz, Iris. George, dear, would you cash a check for me? Well, if I have it on me, uh, how much do you want? Five, ten? Five hundred dollars. Well, I don't know if... Five hundred dollars. Yes, and hurry, please. Five hundred dollars? Now, where would you get... Liz, you, you weren't serious about that burglary business this morning. This this isn't forged, is it? Look, George, I have to get back in 25 minutes. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, sorry. Uh, what's this? Oh, George, meet Mr. Uh-uh-uh. Uh-uh-uh, this is my husband, George. Uh, how do you do? Oh, uh, what's the trouble, George boy? Well, Liz, Lotus Bud. Oh, Rudolph, thank goodness you're here. Would you please cash this check for Liz? Why, I'd be glad to. Oh, Rudolph, you're a lamb. You're just a lamb. You bring it in as soon as the bank opens in the morning. <laughs> ah, you old goat. <laughs> This is terribly important. And why, pray? Well, you see, Iris and I went down to the... Ah. Oh, I'm sorry. 
what's this all about, Liz? If I can just cash this check in the uh, next... Uh, uh. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, Liz, we've spent ten minutes already. <laughs> Mr. Atterbury, cash this check for me, please. Sorry, Liz. Give me one good reason why. I'll tell you exactly why I can't cash this check. You see? Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Carried away. <laughs> There is a state law that banks close at three o'clock. Even if I wanted to cash the check, I couldn't. Iris, look. Right over there on that table. Money. Stacks and stacks of beautiful green money. I see it. I'm going to take one of those $500 bills. Oh, no, you're not. Oh, yes, I am. All right, everybody. This is a stick-up. Raise your hands and line up against the wall. Liz. I'll shoot the first one that tries to stop me. Liz. Put your hands up. All right. Now, may I finish? Yes. You haven't got a gun. Oh, I thought it was too easy. We're wasting time, Liz. How much time have we got left? Twelve minutes. Come on, oh. there's plenty of places to cash checks besides banks. Okay, let's go. Thanks a lot, you big misers. As we look in on the Coopers again, Liz and Iris have just left the bank to try to find another place to cash the $500 check from Everybody Wins, which Liz can keep if she can cash it in the next 15 minutes. George and Mr. Atterbury prepare to return to their work. George, boy, have the other employees gone home? Yes. Good. We can turn on the radio. I wouldn't want anyone to know we go over the books with Arthur Godfrey. <laughs> for being such a good sport and jumping off the high ladder with an umbrella. <laughs> you missed the mattress so you don't get a prize. <laughs> well, thanks anyway, and we hope that little old leg of yours mends soon. Oh, God, boy, that's that awful happy Hal Brubaker. Well, folks, we still haven't heard from Mrs. George Cooper. Mrs. George Cooper? I guess she's having more trouble than she thought with that check for $500, which she can keep if she cashes it. Oh, gas! <laughs> That's why Liz couldn't tell us what it was. You numbskull! Why didn't you cash it for her? Why didn't I? Well, why didn't you, you big fat dope? <laughs> what? Sir? I'm <laughs> <laughs> Pockets with money, boy. We've got to find those girls. Where'll we go, Iris? Where'll we go? There, right down the street. See that sign? Where? Do you need money? Hmm? Oh, yes. That's the first time I ever saw hmm in neon. <laughs> Let's go in. I'll borrow 500 and cash your check for you. Okay. Ah, uh, good afternoon. Do you need money? Hmm? Uh, 
Yes, yes. I'd like to borrow $500, please. Of course. Just put your signature here. Oh, there. Fine. And now we count out one, two, three, four, five $100 bills. Is that all? That's all. My goodness. I certainly was mistaken about places like this. Of course you were. Now I deduct the interest and the carrying charges, and here's your money. $14.32. What? And you pay us back at the rate of $50 a week for 36 weeks. $14? She has to give me $500. Oh, why didn't you say so? If you want $500, you have to borrow $13,000. Skip it. We don't need money that bad. Come on, Iris. Well, how much time do we have left? Six minutes. We're dead. No, we have one more chance. Old Mr. Trimble at the grocery. He'll cash it for me if he's got it. Good. It, look out. What? Step back in the doorway, Liz. Well, what's the matter? Look, running down the street, George and Rudolph. Oh, that's all we need. If they find us, they'll make us tell them where we got the check, and that'll kill the rest of our time. Quick, into the taxi at the curb. Okay. Liz! Trimble's grocery store driver. As fast as you can go. Trimble, you've got to help me. Mrs. Cooper and Mrs. Atherberry. Oh, how nice to see you. Hi. Hi, hi. Mr. Trimble, will you cash a check for me? Why, sure. Oh, say, Mrs. Cooper, I'm glad you dropped in. Thank you. You know that eggplant I sold you last week? Yes. How did that cook up? Oh, fine. Now, here's the you check. You know, I was worried about that. <laughs> when you left the store, I said to Martha... And that's my wife, Martha. Yes, I know. Martha, I said I shouldn't have sold Mrs. Cooper that eggplant. It was a mite mushy. Yeah, well, it was fine. Look, I want you to cash a check for me, and I'm in a terrible hurry. Oh, well, why didn't you say so? If you're in a hurry, you shouldn't stand there jawing. <laughs> I think his head's a mite mushy. <laughs> Uh, here's a check, Mr. Trimble. Do you think you can cash it? Yeah, let me see. Oh, sure, I can handle this. Oh, good. We done a big business today. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get in the cash drawer here. <gasps> That's to tell me when anyone's in the cash drawer. <laughs> now, let me see here. Mm-hmm. Ten, twenty, thirty, and fifty. That's one. <laughs> one fifty. Two. Two fifty. Three. Three Please, I'll get all mixed up. Oh. Let's see now. One fifty. Oh. Two fifty. Three fifty, four, four fifty, four seventy-five. Ah, yes, sir. Here she is. Five dollars. Five dollars, Mister Trimble. Look at that check again. Hmm. Oh, my mistake. Fifty dollars. No, look again, Pop. Five hundred dollars. Oh dear. Oh, let me sit down. 
Oh, well, thanks anyway, Mr. Trimble Iris. I guess we may as well give up and go back to the station. Well, we lost them, Mr. Atterbury. They got into that cab, all right. Oh, those idiots. Oh, what'll we do now? What time is it? Uh, 27 minutes past three. We still have three minutes. Let's go down to the radio station and see if they're there. is Mrs. Fruhauser, who ate 16 pies. <laughs> Your prize, Mrs. Fruhauser, is a deluxe dinner. All you can eat at the fanciest restaurant in town, and you can use it any time before tomorrow morning. <laughs> oh, ladies and gentlemen, here comes Mrs. Cooper. Let's see if she cashed that check and gets to keep the $500. How about a hand for her? <laughs> well, Mrs. Cooper, how'd you make out? I didn't. I still have the check. Oh, that's a shame. Well, you have two whole minutes left. Whoopee. <laughs> now, don't give up. Maybe someone in our studio audience will cash it for you. Oh, sure. Well, everybody who has $500 in his pocket, please stand up. That's what I thought. <laughs> well, you still have a minute and a half. Can't you think of something to do? I certainly can. Here's what I'm going to do. Please don't tear up the check. Why not? I might as well have the satisfaction. There. I will now throw 500 bucks worth of confetti into the orchestra. Here you are, boys. Spend it wisely. In one minute to go. To go where? Liz! 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 Oh, there you are. Thank goodness. We're in time. We've got the money. Here. Oh. $500. Oh, no! Well, well, where's the check? Uh, check? Yes, yes. Where is it? Uh, there, sprinkled among the band members. You, you tore up the check? I didn't think I could cash it anywhere. In 45 seconds to go. Oh. Don't stand there sniveling. Pick up the pieces. We'll glue it back together. 40 seconds. The Irish, George, let's get busy. Into the band. Into the band. something to ask you. What? Why didn't you ask the man who went along with you if he could cash the check? What do you mean? He had $500 with him all the time with instructions to cash the check if you asked him. Why, you dirty... Uh-uh-uh. the dirtiest trick I ever heard of. Oh, I'm a meanie. I'm sorry I don't have anything for you. Well, I have something for you. Take this. George, boy! Thank you, George. Thank you, George. That was worth 
$500. It was worth $589.50. You mean I... Yes, go ahead and buy yourself that new dress. Oh, George, you're my very favorite husband. <laughs> Yes, Lucille, what's the score tonight? Tonight, Robert, I'm going literary. I am a famous and cultured lady novelist, and you are interviewing me on the socio-political implications of my latest manuscript. A little implication music, Wilbur. <laughs> How do you do? Hello there. I'm looking for the famous novelist Elizabeth Doppelfinger Hoffenschmeiss. Uh, <laughs> Elizabeth Doppelfinger Hoffenschmeiss? Yes. Uh, speaking. You? Yes, I am she. Well, I want to talk to you about your new novel. Uh, oh, yes. And what was the name of that? Well, as near as I can pronounce it, it's Gravznik Plod's Trotnikrow. That's right. Oh, well, how did you arrive at that title? Uh, well, hmm. Are we alone? Yes. I got my fingers one key too far over on the typewriter. No. Yes. It was supposed to be Jello wins again. Well, tell me. How do you get the ideas for your novels? Well, it isn't easy. <laughs> I think, I think of a good picture for the book cover. And then I, I write a story around it. Oh? Yes. <laughs> uh, for instance, if you would like me to uh, extemporize... Please do. Oh, thank you. Well, now, take you. Ooh, that's a good idea. Come here. Now, just... Oh, strictly business, huh? Well, what would you like to see more than anything else on a book cover? A bowl of jello. You would? <laughs> Yes, Jell-O with its six delicious flavors. Strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and lime. Uh, yes. Jell-O but... that makes you think of the real ripe fruit itself. <laughs> you don't have a feel for the romantic novel. <laughs> uh, kiss me. Mm. <laughs> now, what would you like to see? Jell-O, because the flavor is locked in and can't get out with your first delectable spoonful. Jell-O with the big red letters on the box. Oh, he's a stubborn one, isn't he? Uh, kiss me again. Now, look, you can kiss me from now until doomsday, and you won't be able to change my mind. 
Who cares? Think of the fun I'll have trying. <laughs> You have been listening to My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning, and based on characters created by Isabel Scott Rorick. Tonight's transcribed program was produced and directed by Jess Oppenheimer, who wrote the script with Madeline Pugh and Bob Carroll, Jr. Original music was composed by Marlon Skiles and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Be sure to listen to Lucille Ball in My Favorite Husband again next week, presented by... Oh, the big red letters stand for the Jell-O family. Oh, the big red letters stand for the Jell-O family. That's Jell-O. Yum, yum, yum. Jell-O puddings. Yum, yum, yum. Jell-O tap. Bianca puddings. Yes, sirree. Bob Lamont speaking. Stay tuned for Inner Sanctum next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Inner Sanctum and the episode No Coffin for the Dead. Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Good evening, fiends. Uh, I mean, friends of the Inner Sanctum. This is Raymond, your host, inviting you through the squeaking door. Don't hesitate. Come right in. Oh, it's a bit dark. Careful, don't brush up against that skeleton. Oh, he's quite harmless, I assure you. He's only the skeleton in our closet come out for a bit of air. <laughs> the idea of a skeleton coming out for air. Such nonsense. Oh, you mean because it's already so well ventilated? Oh, how do you do, Mary Bennett? Hello, Mr. Raymond. Mm. Now, you tell me truthfully. Is there a family skeleton in your closet? Oh, yes, indeed. And what's more, we make no bones about it. <laughs> but I'd uh, like to really get him out of the closet. I need space to store my Lipton's noodle soup. What a silly thing to say. Hmm? You know very well that Lipton's noodle soup comes in a tidy little package that takes up hardly any room at all. Oh. fact is, Lipton's is convenient all the way around. It takes hardly any time to make. Costs less and makes lots more than canned soups. And when it comes to flavor, nothing can beat Lipton. It's a grand, homemade-tasting noodle soup with a, a chickeny flavor. And, folks, Lipton's is just swimming with tender golden egg noodles. It's like I always say, you just don't know how good noodle soup can be till you've tried Lipton. And like I always say, tonight, put a tight hat on your head so your hair won't rise. And get ready to listen to No Coffin for the Dead. It's an original story by Emil Tepperman. And our star tonight is that famous radio actor, Les Tremaine, who plays the part of Tom Archer. Along the swanky East River Drive, all is quiet, except 
saw the footsteps of two men who hurried toward one of the many tall apartment houses. Let me introduce you quickly to these two men before uh, death strikes out at them. The man on the outside, the tall, blonde man, is District Attorney Tom Archer. The other one, the lean, dark-haired fellow, is Tom Archer's assistant, John Frame. Tom's really worried about him. I'll walk you to the door of your house, John. I don't like your being out alone this late at night. Whoever's been sending you those threatening letters isn't just... Look out, John! That fellow in the alley with a knife! Look out! Drop that knife, you! Oh, you... You've killed him. You've killed John Frayne. You're... Keep back, you... Oh, that knife, you don't... Oh! No, don't stab me! The devil... Killed John Frayne. Stabbed me... I'll remember his face if I ever see him again. I'll remember. When I began to regain consciousness after that attack, I was lying on the ground at the mouth of the little alley near John Frayne's home. A fussy little ambulance intern had just finished working over me. There was a small crowd around me. And I glimpsed the face of Detective Inspector Lambert just behind the intern. There. Feel better now, Mr. Archer? How was he, Doc? I about got him fixed up, Inspector Lambert. I think he'll be all right. He's conscious now. Can I talk to him? Yeah, but better not move him for a few minutes till the shock wears off. How are you, Mr. Archer? Well, pretty good. I feel like a mummy with all these bandages. Yeah, both hands. What did they do? Jump you with knives? Well, we... We were passing the alley. John and I... John! What happened to John Frame? Speak up, Inspector. What happened to John? Now, take it easy, Mr. Archer. John's dead. They got him in the back. Right through the heart. Oh, merciful heaven. John... Did you get a look at the killers, Mr. Archer? Could you identify them? Well, the, the, there was only one man. He, he, he came out of the alley. He stabbed John, and then he swung at me. I, I didn't have time to go for my gun, so I, I caught the blade in my bare hands. He ripped the knife away and stabbed at me. I, I don't know how many times. Six stab wounds, Mr. Archer. You're darn lucky none of them hit a vital spot. Yeah. That was a brave thing, grabbing the knife with your bare hands. Probably saved your life. It's the mistake the killer made, leaving me alive. I've seen his face. I'll catch up with him. If it takes the rest of my life. I was a bit shaky on my feet when Inspector Lambert and the intern helped me up. But I insisted on going over to where the body of John Frayne lay, covered with a white sheet. And then I saw Susan leaning against the great comforting bulk of old Mrs. Hogan, her housekeeper. She was looking down at the shroud that covered her husband's body. It was God's will, Mrs. Frame. Susan. Oh, Tom. Tom, I can't believe it. But John, 
Be, be brave, Susan. John's dead. Nothing I can say will replace him. Have you any idea who the murderer is? I, I saw his face for a moment, that's all. But I'll recognize it again, I'm sure. Miss Barcher, here's something we found in the alley. What is it, Inspector? Looks like the charm off a watch fob. It's broken off. The charm? No. You recognize it, Mrs. Green? Oh, no. No, it can't be. It can't be. No, no, of course not, Susan. There are hundreds of watch charms like this one. What is it, Mrs. Green? That watch charm. My younger brother, Peter, wears one just like it. Oh? Oh, nonsense, Lambert. You can buy those in any jewelry store. Besides, I saw the killer's face. It wasn't Pete. Mrs. Hogan. Yes, Mr. Archer. Please take Mrs. Frayne upstairs now. That I'll do. Come along, darling. I'll see you later, Susan. Oh, please stay here, Tom. You're hurt. All those wounds. I'll be okay. Right now, I'm going to go downtown with Inspector Lambert and look at pictures while that murderer's face is fresh in my mind. headquarters, I looked through hundreds of pictures in the rogues' gallery. It was just two hours before I came upon the photograph. Lambert, this is our man. You're sure? Positive. I'll never forget that face. Turn it over. Let's see the name, quick. Right. Art Hogan. Good heavens. Art Hogan. That would be the son of old Mrs. Hogan. The frame housekeeper. Lambert and I both remembered the case of Bart Hogan. It went back five years before John Flane had married Susan. Bart Hogan had lived with his mother, both working for Susan's father. One day, Bart Hogan had snatched up a kitchen knife and attacked Susan's father with mad fury. Only John's lucky arrival had saved the old man. John subdued Bart Hogan. The mad youngster had been committed to the state asylum for life. But he had escaped seven months ago. Nobody had heard from him since then. Until tonight. Quick, Scott. So that murderous kid has come back after all these years. Get his revenge. I'm going back to the Frayne house. I, I want to talk to Mrs. Hogan. You think she might know where her son can be found? Who knows? I'll talk to her anyway. Uh, by the way, Mr. Archer. Yes? While you're up there, suppose you just kind of check on whether Brother Pete has lost his watch charm. Flames occupied a top-floor duplex in the riverfront apartment house. I took the elevator up, and Mrs. Hogan admitted me. I'll take your hat and coat, Mr. Archer. Thank you. Mrs. Hogan, where's your son, Bart? Bart? Oh, why'd you ask after Bart? Have you seen or heard from him since he escaped from the state assignment? What... What makes you ask that? Mrs. Hogan, that there's reason to believe that the person who attacked us in the alley is your son, Bart. Oh, no, no. Never say that, Mr. Archer. I'm afraid it's true. No, it, it, it couldn't be. I swear to you, it couldn't be, Bart. Why not? I, I can't tell you why. But it wasn't Bart, I'm sure. What makes you so sure? You know where he's been hiding since his escape? You know where he is now? Why? <sighs> 
Heaven help me. If you know where he is, you must give him up. <laughs> but he didn't do it. He didn't. Believe me, Mrs. Hogan, I understand how you feel. But it'd be far better for Bart to go back to the state asylum than to be hunted for this new crime. If he didn't do it. <sighs> Mr. Archer, if, if I prove to you that Bart couldn't have done it, would you let him be? Not make him go back to the asylum? Well, I, I don't know what to say. You see, I was downtown just now, and I recognized the picture of the man who attacked us. It turned out to be your son. There's very little chance that I was mistaken. But if I prove he couldn't have done it? How can you prove it? Well, I'll show you. usually ruddy face was drained of blood as she led me up the stairs to the upper floor of the duplex, and then along the hall to her room. I always keep the door locked. Go inside, please. Oh, I, I don't see anything in this room, Mrs. Hogan. Well, over here, please, at the closet. Hmm. Is that you, Ma? Is that you? It's all right, Bart, darling. I... I brought a good friend. Good heavens. You've been hiding him here in this closet? For seven months now. When he escaped from the asylum, he came here. I cleared out the closet. Just holds the cot. He lies in there night and day. Where's he, Ma? Why'd you bring him? What's he want? Don't be afraid, Bart. Mr. Archer won't hurt you. He wants to ask you some questions. What? Have you been out of this room tonight? Never. Out? Me? Not a chance. He tells the truth, Mr. Archer. Here. I'll pull the blanket back and show you the proof. There. Look at his legs. He was shot in both legs when he escaped from the asylum. I couldn't get medical attention for him and the wounds never healed properly. I see... You must believe me now, Mr. Archer. Bart couldn't be one who attacked you. Because, well, he'll never be able to walk as long as he lives. Mm. <laughs> well, now, if Bart Hogan didn't do it, and mind you, I said if, then who did kill poor John Frayne? Well, whoever killed him must have been a rather cheerful person because he uh, took life so cheerfully. <laughs> cheerful, indeed. Mr. Raymond, you've always had such gruesome thoughts on your mind, you wouldn't recognize something cheerful if you met right up with it. Oh, now, Mary, aren't you being a bit unfair? No, I'm not. You just don't know what folks like. But you listen to me, because I'm going to make a suggestion that'll please everyone. All right. Folks, if you want to give the boys overseas a real taste of home, why not send them a package or two of Lipton's Noodle Soup? It's so easy to do. You don't even need a request slip. You know, a bowl of hot soup makes a mighty good snack for the boys. And when they receive Lipton's Noodle Soup mix, they're getting that old-fashioned kind of chickeny-tasting noodle soup. So send a package or two of Lipton's to your favorite serviceman. That's a terrific suggestion. And uh, here's another thing that pleases me. 
There seems to be plenty of murder ahead in tonight's story. Uh, you remember that pretty little girl, Susan? Well, looks like she's next on the murderer's list. How about that, Tom? Come on. Tell us more. And don't spare the door. When I entered the living room on the lower floor, a few minutes later, Susan and Peter were there with Arnold Matson, the lawyer. I tell you, this is a serious problem, Susan, and we've got to find an answer to it. There is no answer, Mr. Matson. Oh, oh, Tom, thank heaven you've come at last. Hello, Susan. Hello, Peter. Hi. You know Mr. Matson, of course. Yeah, of yeah. course. Uh, I understand, Mr. Archer, that you narrowly escaped the same fate as poor John. Well, uh, I was lucky. Those bandages must be a nuisance. I can stand them. Bandages are better than a shroud. Uh, by the way, Peter, that uh, looks like a new watch charm you're wearing. What, this? Oh, I lost the other one someplace, so I bought a new one. What of it? Oh, nothing. Uh, Mr. Matson, when I came in, you were saying something about a serious problem. Exactly. As you know, Susan's father left an estate of a million and a quarter dollars in a trust fund to be paid to Susan on her 23rd birthday. Yes, yes, I know. And she'll be 23 next month. But uh, there's a proviso in the will, Mr. Archer. In order to receive the inheritance, Susan must be married and living with her husband on that date. Please, Mr. Matson, I... I don't want to talk about the money. Yes, but don't you see? You lose it all. The will distinctly says that you must be living with your husband. If not, then the money goes to eight charities except for $50,000 to Peter. I don't care. I don't care what happens to the money. Without John, it doesn't matter. Well, well, Peter, it'll be a break for you. What do you mean by that, Master? Well, there's no need to become enraged, Peter. I only pointed out... Oh, you out. filthy rat, I'll show you what I'm going to do. Take it easy, Pete. Let go of me. All right, all right. Take your hands off me. Why are you all looking at me like that? You look as if you... You thought I killed John. Well, say it. Why'd you say what you think? Better cool off a little, Pete. This is no time for a scene. Yeah? For that matter, Tom, aren't you? What about you? You'd like to marry Susan yourself, wouldn't you? Why, you rotten little... You better cool off a little, Tom. This is no time for a scene. No, I'm sorry. Yes, Peter, you're right. I would like to marry Susan. You know that, don't you? Yes, Tom, I know. Yeah. You two look at each other like a couple of puppies in love. I'm going to get a... And nuts to the 50,000. Hey, George, I've got it. Got what, Miss Matson? The solution. The solution to our problem. What are you talking about? That's it, don't you see, Susan? You can marry Tom Archer here, and then you'll be able to legally claim the estate on your birthday. Well, that's a pretty callous thing to suggest, Matson. Callous? I'm a lawyer. My duty to protect my client. I... I couldn't do it. Of course not. Look here, Susan. Is there anyone else in the world who would benefit by John's death? I, I don't know. I... I, I can't think. Oh, what's the difference? Are you still looking for clues, Archer? You know who the murderer is, young Bart Hogan. I look further. Bart Hogan? Matson, how did you know about Bart Hogan? What? What do you mean? 
Well, I, I just come from Inspector Lambert's office. There, there was nobody present when we found Hogan's picture. How did you know about it? Yeah, it's really quite simple. I phoned headquarters a little while ago, and Inspector Lambert told me. Right, you're right, Matt. Uh, what's Peter. that? Peter. Right, come quick, in the kitchen. Well, come along, Matson, quick. Yes, you stay here, Susan. All right, Pete, take it easy. We're coming. Down the hall, in the kitchen. Get hold of yourself. You, you open the door. I, I can't. Look, go ahead, Archer, open it. Huh? Good heavens. It's Mrs. Hogan. She lay on the kitchen floor on her back, with blood all over her clothes. Blood came from a gaping knife wound in her throat. And the knife lay on the floor alongside her. I found her that way. Her uh, body is warm. She was killed within the last 10 or 15 minutes. Then, then the killer's running loose somewhere in the house. Susan, she's alone. Good heavens, there on the floor. Susan, Susan, darling. Is she, is she dead? No. No, no, she's... She's only fainted. The shock. Oh. It's all right, Susan. What happened? Was it... Was it Mrs. Hawkins? Yes. Who? We don't know. But the killer's in the house. That madman is liable to kill us all, one at a time. I have a revolver. Let's search the house. Right. Matson, you go in the kitchen and stand guard over that knife. There may be fingerprints on it. Very well. Peter, you stay here with Susan. Here's my gun. Don't be afraid to use it. Now, wait. Wait just a minute. What is it, Matson? Has it occurred to you the killer may be one of us? One of us? What are you looking at me for? You were out of this room for quite a while. Why, you are a killer! Look out again! Better. I'll take the gun. He was going to shoot me. Sorry. I lost my head. Susan, I'm sorry you have to go through all this. Everybody's on edge. There's a killer loose in the house and we've got to find him. Yes, Tom. I know you'll do whatever's right. I'll try. Uh, You two. You can both stay here with Susan. I'll search the house myself. Matson, call the police. Yes, but how can you hold the gun with your hands all bandaged? You can't pull the trigger. I'll use it as a club. All right, now. Don't move out of this room till I return. Be careful, Tom. You mustn't let anything happen to you, too. I went slowly up the stairs to the upper floor, gripping the gun by the barrel in my bandaged hand. end of the hall, I stopped before the door of Mrs. Hogan's room. I opened the door with the keys. Inside the room, the closet door was open. Bart Hogan was still lying on his cot. He must have been expecting me. His eyes were wild with terror. He had a long pencil clutched in his right hand, the only weapon he could find to use against me. His left fist was clutched into a tight ball. He watched me, stiff with fear, as I moved slowly toward him, across the room. Keep away from me. I had no time to waste on him. I swept aside the fist that clutched the pencil and brought the revolver butt down hard on his forehead. I, I went over to the window, opened it. Then I, I went back to the bed and pulled the sheet, pulled it away. Lifted him, 
His weak and withered legs dangled uselessly. I carried him over to the window, rested him against the sill. He opened his eyes. He was recovering from the blow. I didn't wait. I pushed hard. He went toppling out of the window. I leaned over and saw the body strike against the 10th floor setback, then go hurtling into the air and smash down upon the pavement far below. There wasn't enough of him left to perform an autopsy on. They'd never know his legs had been no good, that he hadn't been able to walk. Everything would be easy sailing from here on. Susan would marry me to save the estate. A million and a quarter dollars. been clever enough. When I called out that fake warning at the mouth of the alley, I myself stabbed John in the back. Then I slashed myself up. They had taken my story at face value, Lambert and the others. I'd guessed that Mrs. Hogan was hiding Bart, but just as a precaution, I'd stolen Peter's watch chain and dropped it at the scene of the crime in case I should need another suspect. But when I found Bart couldn't walk, it became necessary to kill Mrs. Hogan, too. For she was the only one who could tell the police that Bart hadn't been able to walk. All I had to do now was go down and say I'd found Bart, we had fought, and he had fallen from the window. The perfect crime. I took one more last look down into the street where a crowd had gathered around Bart's body. I was able to make out the figure of Inspector Lambert bending over what was left of him. And I saw Lambert force something out of the clenched left fist of the dead body. In a flash, I remembered that feeble little pencil with which Bart had tried to defend himself. I pulled in my head from the window and glanced across to the closet. I saw it at once. A small white scratch pad. I rushed across the room and snatched up the pad. There... On the topmost page were the indentations of what Bart Hogan had written on the page, and then had torn off. I could read it clearly. I could almost imagine his terrified voicing of the frightened appeal as he wrote it. Archer was here. He means to kill me. He wants them to think I killed John Frame. But I can't walk. I've got two bullets in my legs. God's sake, save me. Bart had written that note, meaning to throw it out the window. But I had come back too soon for him, and I had thrown it out of the window for him. I went back to the window and looked down. I saw Lambert peering up. Then he turned away and hurried toward the entrance of the building. He's coming for me. There's only one thing for me to do now. I've locked the door. It'll take time to break it down. In the meantime, I've taken the bandage off my right hand. I'm writing a full account of tonight's work. I gambled for a fortune, and I lost. I love that boy so. 
Yes, sir, he seemed like such a nice young man. Well, his trouble was he tried to commit the perfect crime without first practicing up on minor crimes. He should have started by stealing watermelons and and maybe tried his hand at robbing mail trains. Mr. Raymond, what are you suggesting? And just when I was getting ready to tell people to send a bowl of soup to the boys overseas. Hmm? Wouldn't the soup get cold by the time it arrived? Oh, of course not. Why, Lipton's noodle soup mix comes in a flat package. Mm. You simply send it along to your favorite soldier. And he'll be pleased by your little gift because this noodle soup is just like a, well, just like a taste of home. So enclose a package or two of Lipton's the next time you write to him. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry you have to go so soon. But drop in again next Tuesday for another little blood fest. You know, some people have to commit murders to get a kick out of life. Others get their satisfaction from listening to Inner Sanctum. But a word of advice. If you've got to commit a murder, please don't get yourself caught. Because if you do, you'll surely get a free ride with the only person never bothered by backseat drivers. I mean, that they're hearse drivers. <laughs> by the way, this month's Inner mystery novel is A Time to Die by Hilda Lawrence. Now I guess it's time to close that there squeaking door until next week when Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup bring you another Inner Sanctum mystery directed by Hyman Brown. So until then, good night. Pleasant dreams. (laughs) And don't forget to tune in again next Tuesday night to Inner Sanctum. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's the Red Skelton Show, followed by Lights Out. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.